Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of Avatar and the Sacred Text. I am your host, Ken, and on today's episode, Sokka makes a fool of himself, Aang becomes a 112-year-old ladies' man, and Katara gets a level up. And I'm also going to attempt a new sacred practice called Pardes. So, stay tuned! Previously on Avatar. Okay, so before I start, I'd like to put it out there that if you would like to co-host this podcast with me, send me a voicemail with your contact info. I think it would be fun to work together with another person or people to create this podcast. Uh, and it would be much more of a conversation uh, and less of me yakking at you for 30-ish minutes. So, once again, if you think you'd like to be part of this, send me a, a message and uh, we can see, uh, maybe make something happen. All right? Okay, so last week I talked about expectations so Aang gets his expectations of the Southern Air Temple dashed when he realizes that his people have been wiped out. Uh, I kind of feel like the show skips over the fact that a genocide happened. Uh, even uh, in that episode, Commander Zhao talks about eradicating the air nomads. Um, you know, whenever we're talking about eradicating a peoples, um, I think it's important to, I don't know, at least mention that. Um, it kind of makes me wonder what the other nations were doing during this time, right? Like, they couldn't have... Were they just sitting, like, blindly by? Or did the Fire Nation just kind of come out of nowhere and been like, blam! Um, also makes me wonder why they didn't band together to tackle the threat that the Fire Nation posed. Um, and since we're talking about strength, it's an interesting question, Right? Um, even without the Avatar, could the Water Tribe and the Earth Kingdom together have ended the war? Um, I feel like it would make a good fan fiction. So, I don't know, write something up and send it to me. Um, also about expectations, Katara tells Aang not to get his expectations too high. Um, she knows about the destructive, um, the destructive nature of the the Fire Nation currently, firsthand. She lost her mother uh, in the war, and all the fighting men of her village, uh, including her father, have left to fight. So, um, you know, she knows the impact that uh, war has. Um, and to counter the heavy nature of this episode, Sokka is just always hungry, and a new member uh, is added to Team Avatar. Momo. I love Momo. Shout out to Momo. So, uh, anyways, this week uh, we are going to look at the Warriors of Kyoshi through the theme of strength. But before we get into that, let's do a very quick recap. So, Team Avatar lands on Kyoshi Island. Uh, Kyoshi is one of Aang's past lives, uh, and she has quite the fan following on, like, the internet and Reddit and places, so... Uh, kudos to Kyoshi. Uh, Aang uh, rides a giant koi fish, uh, nearly gets eaten by uh, the Yunagi, uh, 
giant sea serpent-like creature. Uh, the team gets ambushed and tied up, and uh, which introduces us to a new uh, character and characters known as the Kiyoshi Warriors, um, a totally badass group of female warriors, and I'll talk about them more in a bit. Um, and when they come to, they are in a village, and the governor demands to know why they are there, and Aang does a nice little bit of airbending to prove who he is, and, you know, the village kind of goes nuts. Uh, there's a really great scene where this uh, person uh, is like, Wah! and, like, foaming at the mouth and, like, falling over, kind of like, I don't know, it reminds me of, like, Beatles mania, like, the clips that you've seen where, like, the girls are just, like, weeping. Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, news of Aang's presence on Kyoshi Island uh, spreads, and Zune, uh, Zuko learns where he is, um, obviously. Uh, so Zuko and company, they uh, make for the island, uh, and they wreak some havoc. Aang and Zuko fight, and uh, Aang rides the Yunagi once more to put out the flames of the village, and Team Avatar flees into the sunset again. So... Uh, I kind of feel like this episode is one of, like, the fillers uh, of the series. Uh, yeah, it introduces us to Sokka's love interest and a few new characters, but I also feel like it's one of, like, the flavor of the week episodes, right? So, like, they go somewhere, Zuko finds them, they fight, they narrowly escape. See you uh, next time on Avatar. Um, you know, it's a, a pretty straightforward episode. So, this week I am viewing the episode through the theme of strength. So, where do we see that? Uh, I gotta talk about Sokka. Um, he's a complete ass in this episode. Uh, he super insults Katara. You know, he's all like, leave her alone while she's doing her sewing thing. And Katara's like, uh, excuse me? And he's like, yeah, you know, like... You're sewing thing. Women cook and clean and sew, and, you know, the men are us manly men, and we, you know, we do all, like, the important manly men things like hunting and warrioring and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he also in, um, completely insults the Kyoshi warriors. Uh, you know, Sokka says, like, who are you, and where are the men who ambushed us? And um, they're like, there are no men. It's just us. You know, you know, uh, the Kyoshi warriors, right? And Sokka's all like, there's no way a bunch of girls took us down. And he has this, like, stupid little laugh at the end. Um, you know, that makes you kind of want to, like, jump in the screen and, like, you know, smack him across the face. Uh, and, you know, he also makes a complete idiot of himself when he goes to, like, quote-unquote, work out. You know, he's doing these... You know, he uh, interrupts them during a training session and is all like, excuse me, ladies, sorry to interrupt your dance practice, but just looking for a place to work out. And he's doing these, like, stupid stretches and stuff. Uh, it's very cringeworthy the way he, like, uh, reinforces uh, gender stereotypes. Um, it's completely, like, awful to watch. Um, and... You know, I'm not going to excuse away his behavior with, like, boys will be boys because that's, like, a garbage excuse for bad behavior. Uh, there is no way anybody should treat anybody else, um, you know, in that manner or uh, in any way less than they deserve to be treated. 
Um, so he like, yeah, so um, it's interesting because the Sokka we see in this episode isn't the Sokka we see throughout the rest of the series. So I, I think um, the reason is because I think he was maybe always this way, right? Uh, after all, this is only like episode four. So to me, like his, his behavior and attitudes are like something he brought from the South Pole, right? He was raised this way. Probably not raised this way, sorry. He was like, you know, as the only like uh, older male in his village, uh, you know, he had to have picked up on this somehow, right? So to me, it says that he was always this way. And the way he gets uh, humiliated, uh, it teaches him like a really um, valuable lesson. You know, humility is the best teacher, maybe. Um, so how does it show strength? And I think it's the way he turns his behavior around and he grows as a character, right? Um, after a second encounter with Suki, he's left, like, visibly embarrassed. Um, she, you know, he uh, goes in, does that stupid, like, let me work out and, you know, let me show you some fighting moves because, quote, I am the best warrior in my village. Um, what he doesn't leave out or what he leaves out was that he's the only warrior in his village, uh, you know, and... Suki does this really awesome move where he she like unties his belt and like ties it around his arm and his leg and then like pushes him down onto the floor, right? He just gets completely wasted. Um, you know, and they they make a point to like zoom in on his face, right? And so he's shown blushing, you know, his eyes are like quivering, like he legit looks like he's about to cry. Um, you know, and and so I think that yeah, so that that was that humbling experience, right? He was forced, you know, face down uh, in front of her, right? But I think he he realizes this mistake and he comes back um, to apologize. And this time he actually chooses to kneel down at Suki's feet. Uh, so, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's that contrast being forced down and one as uh, being... Um, you know, choosing to kneel down. And then he she, he asks that if uh, uh, Suki and the other warriors can train him, right? I think he realizes that uh, his training as a warrior has been uh, lacking, right? He's self-taught. Um, and, you know, he, he recognizes uh, that... Um, you know, that these are really good warriors, right? In fact, at the end, he's, you know, he apologized apologizes to um, Suki, you know, he says, I got to apologize, you know, I've been treating you like a girl when I should have been treating you like a warrior, right? Um, you know, that, and that's just a, you know, that's a really great, great line, right? Because that shows um, a level of self-awareness in him and his willingness to grow. So that, yeah, this episode is just a really great arc for, for Sokka. And, you know, we see that kind of humility, um, uh, kind of throughout the the series as a whole, right? His willingness to learn, um, you know, he's still a bit of a goof and, you know, he still has a bit of like that kind of gender stereotypes going on. But, you know, I, I think, you know, as far as character flaws go, he, you know, he doesn't have many, um, you know, but he's always willing to learn from his mistakes. All right, so Katara uh, is another... Uh, there's a couple other ways that we see strength. 
Um, Katara has like the strength of a, of a mother, right? Um, she has acquired quite a number of skills, right? Like, I cannot sew up a pair of pants to save my life, right? Uh, but my mom could, right? And she did her best to teach me. Um, you know, like, there, there is something about, like, the, 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 the practical arts um, that, you know, you either have it or you don't. And it's not skills that you can just, like, pick up and just be like, oh, I know how to sew or I know how to knit, right? You need somebody to teach you and you need to be able to like hone those, you know, those, those crafts, right? And Katara has done that um, throughout her, throughout her kind of preteen and teen, teen years, right? Uh, she's constantly looking out for, you know, her, the members of her family, you know, Sokka and Aang, right? Uh, we see her, uh, you know, gathering supplies for the journey, right? She, you know, when she could be playing, uh, you know, like Aang is doing, um, you know, she she realizes, you know what, I got to take care of my family. And, uh, yeah, so she has that kind of like the, that motherly instinct. Um, yeah, and we'll see them talk a little bit more about that later on. Um, and she also has, like, the strength of a waterbender, right? She gets a massive skill upgrade in this episode. Uh, and, you know, before uh, we've seen her try to um, uh, uh, waterbend, you know, and that's kind of come out of, like, fear and frustration and anger, right? It's a very emotional thing for her. Um, you know, even when she fights uh, the firebenders on Zuko's ship, right, um, she, you know, she has to turn around and try, you know, uh, to water whip um, them, right? So, like, her, her practical waterbending skills are, are really good, um, but her, like, her fighting waterbending skills um, need some work, right? And this, this episode, uh, we kind of see that, right? Aang uh, decides to be foolish and, and ride the Yunagi, and, uh, you know, he gets knocked unconscious, so she, like, swims out to him and then uses her uh, water bending to rocket them back to shore, right? Um, you know, and it's a very, uh, you know, it's a very purposeful, like, look that she has on her face, right? Um, and she also revives Aang, uh, and it's the first time that uh, we see her bend water that she can't actually see. Uh, previously, you know, she's had to, to uh, look at the water she's trying to bend, right? There's a scene where she's sitting in a room with a bowl full of water, and she's just making it kind of go up and down, right? Um, she is, uh, you know, she has a very, like, intense look of uh, concentration on her face, right? And the beach in the scene, it seems almost effortless, right? And so we begin to see Qatar grow as, like, um, a waterbender, uh, last up, last thing I'm going to talk about uh, is Suki and the Kyoshi Warriors. Uh, these are like the most obvious form of strength in this episode. Uh, they're an elite group of, of warriors, uh, and we see their influence kind of throughout the series, right? They pop up now and again. Uh, they actually help in the uh, invasion uh, on the Day of the Black Sun, and they help at the end of the series, too, uh, battling uh, the Fire Nation. Uh, and when they're all thrown in prison, they actually end up training, like, um, Azuko's sister, uh, her friends, you know, in, um, yeah, they invite, uh, you know, they invite new, new people into their gang. So, 
Yeah. Um, and what I like about Suki is she has, like, a whip that, like, destroys Sokka, right? Um, not only is she an amazing fighter, but she can, like, she has a way with words that is, you know, makes Sokka be, like, blah, 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 like, speechless. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, yeah, the Kyoshi Warriors are, are really cool. Um, you know, they wear a, like, a the, the, the costume that they have, you know, uh, symbolizes, like, strength and honor. Right, and that's uh, those are the two two kind of characteristics that we see um, them exemplify throughout the series. So this week for our sacred practice, I'm going to be doing something new. Uh, it is a practice called Pardes. Uh, it's a Jewish practice. Uh, and uh, this information uh, can be found on the Harry Potter and the Sacred Text website. Uh, it's an article by uh, James Trim, who has kind of put together some of this information. So this is uh, like a four-step uh, practice, uh, very similar to Lexio Divina. And uh, the four levels are called, uh, the first level is the Peshat, and then the remez, and then the drosh, and then the uh, sud. Okay, so the first letter of each word, P-R-D-S, uh, is taken, and then the vowels are added in for uh, pronunciation, giving the word pardes, uh, meaning uh, garden or orchard. So, and each layer is deeper and more meaningful and intense than the last. So it's kind of like the layers of an onion. All right. So the first one, the Peshat, uh, it means simple. So the Peshat is the plain and simple meaning of the text. Uh, the next step is pronounced Remez. Uh, it means hint. So this is where another implied meaning uh, is alluded to in the text. Uh, and it usually reveals kind of like a deeper meaning um, to the text. Uh, the next uh, layer is the drosh, um, meaning concept. So this is like a teaching or exposition or the application of the passat and or the remez. Uh, you can kind of uh, compare this to like a sermon, right? So if you have the first two layers, the passat and the remez, uh, the drosh would be like, you know, the sermon that comes out of those two things. All right, and then the last um, it, last uh, step is the uh, sud, uh, and it means hidden. Um, so here is where you're going to look for like a hidden meaning or a secret or mystical meaning of the text. And in the Harry Potter and the Sacred Text podcast, when they do this practice, uh, they sit for a couple seconds and see if something reveals itself uh, to them. And sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. Um, and the sud, um, it shouldn't be forced. Um, if something happens, then that's excellent. And if something doesn't happen, then that's also excellent. The, um, it's all about the process and uh, the practice. So I'm going to play you a clip. Um, I've titled it Aang Wake Up, and then I will just walk through those four steps. So, here you go. 
Wake up, Aang. Okay, so the first step is the Peshat, or uh, the simple meaning of the text. So uh, in this case, Aang has nearly drowned, and Katara revives him with waterbending. Uh, it's pretty simple and straightforward. Um, yeah, that's the, the plain meaning of the text. Uh, the next one is the Remez, or the implied or allegorical meaning. So Katara says, uh, Aang, wake up. And um, to me, what this says is that, um, yeah, she is wanting him to wake up not only physically, uh, but spiritually and emotionally. Uh, they have kind of like a weird like little tiff earlier on in the episode. Uh, and I think we see the kind of the blossomings of love, right? So she kind of wants him to like, Aang, like, wake up, like, notice me, right? Uh, in the same way that Aang wants her to notice him. Uh, I think also, too, the, the, the phrase Aang, wake up um, is the kind of the, uh, you know, an overall meaning of, the, you know, the whole first uh, the first season, right? Uh, Aang kind of waking up into his power, right, as the Avatar. Uh, and we see at the end, um, yeah, him, at the end of the first season, him, you know, fully realizing that, the strength that he has uh, in that. And I think also, too, Aang says, like, don't ride the Unagi. It's not fun. Uh, so the Unagi is like a, a giant uh, monster, Right, um, so the kind of the the hit, the implied meaning behind that uh, could mean like you know what does the unagi represent? Right, it represents like the dangers of the world, uh, and you know Aang is like you know don't go looking for trouble. So yeah, uh, the third step is the drosh uh, or the you know sermon. Um, so. I think if I were to preach a little sermon on this, uh, you know, I would start by saying, like, you know, there are lots of things that we should stay away from, uh, lots of unagi uh, that we need to stay away from in the world. Um, and they can be, like, uh, physical things, but they can also be, like, emotional and spiritual things. Uh, so we need to stay away from those. But, you know, in order to stay away from those, uh, we need to kind of wake up and, um, you know, have a look at the world around us uh, through, uh, I, I don't want to say like critical eye, but kind of a more like awakened focus, right? Actually put on, um, you know, you know, take the rose colored glasses off. Um, as a teacher, when I choose things to show my class, right, I put on my, like, my teacher glasses, right, and I, and I view, you know, all the media that I present to them through that lens of teaching, right? Um, so, yeah, we need to wake up to that, um, you know, wake up to those things. And the last one is the sud, or the hidden meaning, um, so yeah, I'm just going to sit for a sec and see if something comes. 
So I think, uh, you know, as I was reflecting on that little clip, um, I, I think, yeah, Katara, when she, she waterbends the, the water out of Aang's lungs, uh, I kind of feel like there's something there, right? Like untapped skills um, that are laying dormant and, uh, you know, just waiting to be uh, kind of unlocked. Um, so I think, you know, I think I would say or my encouragement would be like, um, it's okay to be who you are. And, uh, you know, no matter how old you are, you, there are still skills uh, that can be unlocked. So yeah, um, that is kind of my first go at Pardes. Um, try it out for yourself. And uh, that concludes uh, the episode. So, yeah, leave me a voicemail if uh, there's something you'd like to add or you have a comment or whatever. And I hope you join me next time uh, for episode five. And I hope you have a great day. Bye for now.